I will be reading from the book of Mark this morning, chapter 1, verses 38 to 45. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray that the Lord prepare, prepares us and enables me to hear and to proclaim his truth. Father, we ask now, by the presence and power of your Spirit, that you'd enable me to communicate this, your word, to these, your people, and for these, your people, to hear, to take in your word. For any who are listening who are not yours, who are unregenerate, Pray that you'd enable them to see today and to receive this glorious gospel reality. And that your people would be built up in the faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Singer-songwriter Terry Clark, favorite of mine, 1993, wrote a song entitled Leper. I used to play this in my house continually. All through the night. If you knew me in the 90s, you were at my house, you heard this song all the time. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, sing it. I'm just going to kind of sing it. Jesus walked along the road one day. A blind man cried out. He said, Lord, hear me. You can heal me. He touched his lips. He touched the ground. He touched his eyes. And we looked around. That man could see. The man could see. A group of lepers crying out. That's Jesus, the one we heard about. Please make us clean. You can make me clean. Then it goes on. Oh, how he loved them. Then he continues. I am that leper. I am that blind man. It was my broken heart that was mended by the touch of his hand. Great song. This narrative serves as a picture of what the Lord calls sinners to do, and that is to recognize our miserable condition, to humble ourselves and come to the Lord Jesus for mercy. That's what this narrative shows us. It also serves as a picture of how Jesus responds to those who come to him for mercy. And that is with a heart full of compassion. Compassion. 
here's Jesus. We've already seen he's full of strength. And also we see full of compassion. He's full of authority. And he's full of mercy. He is the sovereign king. And the compassionate savior. Mark wants his readers to know. Mark is the author. He wants his readers to know that those who follow Jesus experience his compassion. Now, thus far, we have seen Jesus, the Christ, Son of the living God, promised Savior, the one who's come to rescue God's people, to give them life, life everlasting. We've witnessed him proclaiming the gospel. That is the good news, announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Come follow me. We've witnessed the unparalleled authority of Jesus. Unparalleled authority in his teaching. Unparalleled authority over Satan. Unparalleled authority over demons, demon-possessed people. His power over physical illness. That is, we've seen his power and authority over the visible and invisible realms. So we've seen thus far just in chapter 1. This morning we witnessed not only his power over disease, but, but also his compassion and mercy that flows out in abundance as a leper approaches Jesus and cries out for mercy. That's what we're going to look at. But first, a reminder of where we've been. Last time, we left off in Capernaum, Jesus' home base for ministry, uh, where Jesus healed many. And and as a result, uh, the multitudes from that area gathered around Peter's house the next morning looking for Jesus. Well, Jesus slipped out before sunrise. So Peter rounds up a search party. They go on a mad hunt for Jesus. And they find him out in a secluded place praying. Now, the disciples evidently wanted Jesus to capitalize on his notoriety as a miracle worker. You know, it was more, it was, it was them saying basically, look, Jesus, things are really hopping. Okay? What are you doing here when all the crowds are over there? Jesus would not be distracted from his purpose. He was not ever baited by his popularity. So, Despite the response of the masses throughout Capernaum, there, the door and the courtyard and outside and around Peter's home, Jesus said, no, we are moving on, boys. We're moving on. In verse 38, he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that. If you didn't underline that last time, underline that in your Bible. That is why I came out. See, Jesus is well aware of of how easily P 
people would be attracted to him for all the wrong reasons. To this very day, people are drawn to Jesus by what they might get out of him. You know, many people will start going to church because there's trouble in their life. So they need to get a boost from Jesus. They want a bump start. They come to him wanting to get, you know, get over the hump. They, they, they want him to, to fix their financial problems. They come to church because they want him to fix their legal troubles or their relationship issues. Or to fulfill their hope for material gain. All that stuff is seen. That's temporal. Things that are seen are temporal. Things that are unseen are eternal. Jesus came to preach the kingdom. Jesus came to preach the gospel. Jesus came preaching salvation. He came proclaiming the message that leads sinners to repentance and salvation. That is, he came preaching the unseen eternal realities of life and death. Of life and the life after. That's why he came. All the miracles did, were, were, was to, they were to validate that Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the Son of God. He is the Christ, the only way to the Father. So not only did he have supernatural power, those signs validate, look, whatever he says, you better believe it. Because whatever he says is true, for he himself is the Truth. He says, this is why I came. So his supernatural signs were intended to validate his message. That's why people don't have these supernatural sign gifts today. Period. Many people are seeking ecstatic experiences. So they go out to pursue that type of thing. Well, euphoria does not last. And because euphoria does not last, people are always off to the next big thing. If people ask, hey, what do you guys do at your church? And you answer, well, we sing songs based on the truth of Scripture. Uh, we, we, we spend time praying according to Scripture. Um, we... we sit under the teaching of the scripture, and what we'll do is we're going to go in there and we're going to pick up at the verse we left off at last week, and and the preacher will cover anywhere from uh, one to ten verses or so. Okay, that would bore people, most people, to tears. Who claim to be Christian. But Jesus, the preacher taught and told his disciples, go preach. The apostle Paul helped reinforce Timothy's ministry by telling him to preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word when it's popular and when it's not. You preach the word when people receive it or they reject it. Preach the word. So, When Simon told Jesus of the swelling crowds gathered outside his house, Jesus refused to ride the wave of popular support. He said, we're out of here. 
unlike politicians and unlike media stars of our day whose approval ratings depend on their remaining in the public eye and in the midst of hype, Jesus moves away from popular demand and away from all the hype that was real. They were hyped up because all of his signs were real. Jesus was never interested in the quantity of crowds. His interest was only in the quality of the people's response to his message. For this is why he said, this is why I came out to preach. So in verse 39, he went throughout all Galilee, notice, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, along the way in one of those Galilean towns, we don't know which one, verse 40, a leper approached him. A leper came up to him. Now, that is an extreme understatement as regards this very significant event, which we'll see as we unfold this. You know, besides all of the fears surrounding leprosy, there were very significant social and religious implications implications involved for anyone that was a leper. Leprosy was one of the most feared diseases of the day in the world at this time. So not only was there suffering from the ravages of the disease itself, the leper was also deemed unfit for society, unfit socially. He was deemed ceremonially unclean, separated from all the blessings of common life, isolated formally, impure. So the fact that this man even approached Jesus was scandalous. The fact that Jesus touched the man was scandalous. Appalling. A leper. Leprosy comes from the word um, lepros, which means scaly or, or rough. And it was used to mark scaly skin diseases. Now, Leviticus 13, we're not going to look at it. You can read it when you go home. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. it takes 56 verses to define various sorts of skin diseases. And that was to provide an accurate diagnosis to protect the people of Israel from contagious bacterium spreading among the people. It was, it was a very broad category. The term leprosy was a very broad category, and it covered all kinds of skin diseases from what we know as eczema to psoriasis to boils, all the way to, to the very degenerative disease that we know as leprosy that has to do with rotting flesh and a horrific deformation of the body. It included all of those. Now, the kind that this man apparently had was the deformation kind. Because Luke chapter 5, verse 12 says that he was full of leprosy. And, and as regards to the response, it had to be the severe, the severe kind. Now, as a result of his condition, look at, look at Leviticus 13, verse 45 and 46. 
The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Mark that. Outside the camp. So he was to wear shredded clothes, his his hair unkempt, and he would have to maintain this disheveled appearance and walk around with his mouth covered. And whenever he came in range of the normal, normal population, he would cry out, unclean, unclean. And people, like the Red Sea, would split. Very feared disease. Now, in recent years, the research of one Dr. Paul Brand um, has proven that the disfigurement associated with, with leprosy, we know it today as Hansen's disease, it is due to the body's warning system of pain being destroyed. It, it primarily, it works like an, annex, an, an anesthetic in your body. So it attacks the nerves below the skin so that you have no pain. Right? Pain is our friend. We, none of us like pain, but pain is our friend because pain is simply an effect of a greater cause. So it's a warning system that tells us something's wrong. So this disease attacks the tissue, resulting in lost feeling, which makes for the potential for very severe damage. You know, for instance, you step on a nail, you don't feel it. Scalding water gets poured on you, you don't feel it. So infections would set in, and you start losing stuff. Now, Dr. Brand referred to the disease as a painless hell. A painless hell. Um, one Jewish culture scholar from the 1800s, Alfred Edersheim, he wrote this. Quote, he, he says the disease generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or are absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. His throat becomes hoarse. You can now not only see, feel, and smell the leper, but you can hear his rasping voice. And if you stay with him for some time, you can even imagine a peculiar taste in your mouth, probably due to the odor, end quote. Okay, now, add to that, okay, add to that the social stigma involved of shame, humiliation, isolation, a very lonely life. And and by the time of Jesus, uh, rabbinical teachings with its absurd judgments made matters even worse. Rabbis used to pride themselves on avoiding lepers. One rabbi said he wouldn't eat an egg purchased on a street where a leper had walked. Another prided himself in throwing stones at lepers. Josephus, first century historian, 
wrote that lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. Walking corpses. Now, it was also believed at this time that leprosy was the divine judgment of God. You were cursed by God, it was believed, if you had leprosy. And now, this sounds very similar to today's humiliation experienced by India's um, lowest caste. That is, um, the social class branded as, as the untouchables today. And the following is taken from an, an excerpt from National Geographic highlighting that the humiliation, desperation, and shame of those labeled today in India as the untouchables. And this uh, has to do with one man who, who, who was born with a, a, a physical a birth defect. And I quote, the, the sins of Gerdherilel Maria are many, his attackers insisted. He has bad karma. Why else would he, like his ancestors, be born and untouchable, if not to pay for his past lives? Look, he's a leather worker, and Hindu law says that working with animal skins makes him unclean. Why is that? Because they worship animals. Someone to avoid and revile. And his unseemly prosperity is also a sin. He got what untouchables deserve. One night, while Maria was away in a nearby city, eight men from the higher Rajput caste came to his farm. They broke his fences, stole his tractor, beat his wife and daughter, and burned down his house. The message was clear. Stay at the bottom where you belong. End quote. This leper was at the bottom of the social ladder. An untouchable sentenced to isolation and death by his own disease. He was a leper. His status was unclean as stipulated by the Mosaic law. So the unclean then were were prohibited from entering the holy places, from going to the temple, or participating in religious festivals. Imagine. That's the leper, notice. This leper, notice he's identified by his disease. He approaches Jesus. Verse 40, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So this man comes, he falls on his knees with humble, reverent attitude. Luke says he fell on his face. Now, Jesus' power was well-known already in in this region. So he comes here to Jesus with with great confidence, and he falls prostrate right before the Lord. He falls at his feet. He was confident that Jesus could heal him, but he was not confident that Jesus would heal him. Now, he knows he's an outcast. And although he's a Jew, he knows he has no claim on Christ. So he comes in humility. Now, he would have have viewed himself as cursed by God, a sinner, guilty before God. So perhaps he's thinking to himself, "If, if God cursed me, perhaps this the one who says he's the son of God, perhaps he, if he wills, 
can make me clean. A desperate man, no doubt. And notice, notice the leper's petition. If you are willing, he does not say, if you ask, I know. If you are willing, which assumes that he knows Jesus has power in himself. He has the power of God in himself, if he wills, to make him clean. If you are willing, and let me tell you this, friends, side note. If you will is a perfectly good question to put to Jesus. If you are willing, you will. That's a very good question to put to Jesus in your prayer life. It's not a matter of weak faith to preface your prayer with Father, if it be your will. You hear me? There are very strange theologies out there today that suggest mature Christians don't pray, if it be your will. What they say, you just demand it in faith. You name it and you claim it. Have you heard that? Of course you have. The problem with that is that Jesus prefaced it his own prayer in the garden. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. If not, not my will, but thy will be done. It's very annoying to hear preachers today say that healing is, physical healing is part of the promise of the gospel. It's very irritating to hear them say that physical healing is part of the atonement. Because what they do is they jerk Isaiah 53 out of joint and out of context that says, by his stripes we are healed. He's not talking about physical healing. He's talking about spiritual healing. They'll say, Jesus doesn't want you to be sick. By his stripes you are healed in the name of Jesus. That's what they do. And these hirelings that teach this stuff, if you listen to the guys that teach this, or I should say if you watch them, notice they have wrinkles on their face. Okay, some of them wear really bad toupees because they're bald. They wear glasses, they have fillings in their teeth, and the point is they're dying like all the rest of us. So if physical healing were were part of the atonement, it's so silly to believe it because if it were part of the atonement, we wouldn't die, right? Because then you just continually play, by your stripes we're healed, amen, let it be done, forever. You're not a faithless second-class Christian when you pray, Lord, if it be thy will. You're not a second-class faithless Christian if you take ibuprofen for your headache or prescription drugs for some disease or illness you have. Okay, amen? So he comes to Jesus. If you will, you can. There's the scene. Here's the response. Verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. I will be clean. Command. Now, Jesus could have passed by this man. But notice, it was the circumstances of the man that moved our Lord 
The man's circumstances moved Jesus. In other words, he was affected by human frailty. Jesus, the Christ, Son of God, was moved by human frailty. This is a deep down emotion. This, this is emotion of the bowels. Deep, you know, in your stomach, when you're nervous, you get uh, butterflies. Okay, this isn't butterflies. It's a deep down moving feeling in your bowels. Jesus has moved like that. Now, Jesus could have responded in many ways. Like the king of Israel did in 2 Kings. Remember a man named Naaman who had leprosy? And he said, am I God to cure a man of his leprosy? Jesus could have responded like Moses did, interceding on behalf of his sister Miriam who broke out with leprosy. But he didn't do that. He could have told him to wash seven times in the Jordan that perhaps God would heal him of this. No, instead, Jesus stretches out his hand, touches him, saying, I am willing, be clean. So in an act of compassion, the Lord touches this unclean man. Touches him. Jesus could have kept his distance and just said, like back where our, our, our sound guys are, be clean. And they would have been clean, right? They would have been clean. They would have been healed. So here then, as horrible as this disease was, it was compounded by the fact that you had no interaction with any other human being other than those who shared your disease, other lepers. This disease, it's, it's reported, went on from anywhere from 10 to 30 years. Imagine this, 10 to 30 years. If this guy had a wife, he did not know her touch or intimate embrace for years. Imagine his longing just to be touched, let alone embraced. I read of a man this week who went to a pastor to, to describe his loneliness. Now, this man wasn't a Christian. He, he had no wife. He had no family that cared for him. And not being a Christian, he didn't have a church. And he said this. He said, I would go to have my hair cut once a week, or I go to have my hair cut once a week just to have someone touch me with no misunderstanding. Loneliness. Imagine this man. Jesus touched him. Now, this word touched, it expresses much more than superficial contact. This means to cling to or to adhere to. So Jesus takes hold of the man. Imagine the delight in the man. This is unbelievable. At the same time, imagine the onlooker's shock. Now, remember, this man has tattered clothes. They know who he is. He comes with his face covered. His hair is unkempt as the law prescribed, and he's saying, unclean, unclean. He cries out, Jesus, Jesus. If you will, you can. And Jesus goes up, basically gives the guy a hug. Scandalous. Any clean person that would even come into mere contact 
with one deemed unclean was himself now designated as unclean. So imagine what's going on in the people's minds as they watch this. You'd be ceremonially unclean. That uncleanness would be transferred to you. And then you had to go through this whole long process to be deemed clean again. So this man comes breaking all the laws, all the customs, approaching Jesus like this. That's what made it a scandal. Jesus touching him, that's what made it scandalous. That is, it made it appalling. This was against, contrary to the law, contrary to the customs. Unclean. Any other rabbi, they would have run for the hills. Out of there. Probably throwing stones as they were going. Not Jesus. He was moved with deep, down, inner pity. Compassion just pours out of him. This is Jesus. Okay, Here's Jesus, the one who came and died for our sins, the one who rose for our justification, the one, right, the, the, the one to whom we've been called by God and brought into everlasting union with him to have eternal fellowship with him has compassion over the plight and the sight of this leper. This is our Lord. He's moved with pity. You see, this is one of the reasons that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize unable to sympathize with the feelings of our infirmities. Compassion. He felt this man's man's agony. He felt this man's loneliness. He has great pity on the man. He, He understood and had compassion as regards this man being a physical and spiritual outcast, religiously isolated. So the man's plight triggered this compassion of our Lord. God is a God of compassion, beloved. See, this is why we look at... And don't separate this compassion. Don't separate the compassion of Jesus from the compassion of the Father. You hear me? You hear me? Because God so loved the world that he gave his son. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus for the effects of the fall. The consequences of sin. So, so Jesus feels, the Father feels that the pain of sin's effects upon sinners. This is just one example of Jesus showing this kind of compassion. It's too many to cover in our time this morning. But, but leprosy isn't the only effect of the fall for which God has compassion. For you this morning, those of you with ailing bodies, he has compassion. Those of you who have long-term illness, he has compassion. Those of you who come from broken families, he has compassion. Those of you who have hurt, shame, fear, and are suffering the, the death of a loved one, he has compassion upon you. Same Lord. Jesus' compassion is affected by human frailty, sin, suffering, and death. Now, by coming to him, he may not alleviate all of your circumstances here and now. Amen? But he will give you hope. He will give you assurance. He will provide you peace that surpasses all understanding. These things he does promise. One day, he will alleviate every single situation and circumstance. Every pain. Every ailment. One day. 
Verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him. He was made clean. Notice, again, instantaneous healing, okay? Full restoration. This healing was sudden. This healing was complete. There's no mantras here. There's no handkerchiefs going around that Jesus is kissing, promising that, you know, your seed faith money will be blessed. I'll kiss it and I'll send it back. None of that nonsense. He doesn't recite some prayer time ten times. He doesn't walk in, in, in a circle chanting. He says, I will be clean. It's done. A command. And the disease leaves the man's body. He's cleansed. He's made whole. The priest couldn't make anybody clean. All they could do was determine whether someone was clean or not. Jesus, the great high priest, makes people clean. Clean. This is a demonstration of the sheer power of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is kingdom power right here. When the king came... The kingdom came with him, and this represents kingdom power over overcoming unclean distortion. Immediately. Now, this, this man's face, if, if, if it had been disfigured like a lion that we read about earlier, it was restored just like that. Full restoration. If he had sunken eyes, they were wide open. If he lost his hair and his eyebrows and his eyelashes, as was common, as regards this level of leprosy, restored immediately. If he had stubs for hands and stubs for feet, fingers and toes grew before the eyes of those who looked on. Just like that. He he didn't like these modern-day healers that aren't healers send him to rehab. This is immediate. Amen? Amen? And then, something strange. Verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him. He, he, in other words, he scolded him. Okay, and I'll show you. Charged him and sent him away at once, and he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer your cleansing, what Moses commanded, for a Proof to them. This expression means Jesus sent him packing. This this is the same verb that's used when Jesus chased out the money changers in the temple. And along with that comes a stern warning. And, And this warning reflects the firmness in which Jesus commanded the demons not to speak back in verses 25 and 34. He didn't need or want their publicity, so he said, be quiet. Remember that? Same firmness. Jesus uses very firm language. This is not a suggestion. This means to sternly warn, to sternly charge, or to scold. It's the idea of of a snorting, impatient horse. The Lord snorted at him, basically saying, I'm warning you, leave, go now, and see that you say nothing to anyone. That's right. Go look it up yourself. William Lane comments, 
He says, and I quote, perhaps it is an expression of Jesus' exasperation because he foresaw the disobedience of the man. Right, right. Did Jesus sense that this was the kind of guy who would just go out and out everything? Sinclair Ferguson says, the stern language proved to be all too appropriate because he went out and did exactly what Jesus told him not to do. End quote. He tells them not to speak of what has happened. This is an incredible thing. I mean, this guy just had the worst disease of the time. You've just been healed. You don't have a single blemish on your body. Skin is probably smooth as a baby's. I don't know. But, verse 45, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Now, we'll almost excuse the man for, for going out and wanting to tell everybody. You know, look at my body, it's fully restored, especially to his family. Look, look, look. It's Jesus, he did it. Look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my face. I'm clean. Now, already cleansed, he was to obey Jesus and go show himself to the priest. And the place he would do this was the temple, 60 or so miles away. Now, whether he ever did this or not, we do not know, but he did go out and blab it all over town. He was supposed to go into the temple, the very place Jesus overturned the tables, the very place Jesus cleansed the temple, he was to go and show himself to the priest. And he didn't do it. This was in compliance to the Mosaic law. So the ones who were always accusing Jesus of breaking the law, this was in compliance to the law. So Jesus instructed him according to the regulations of the law. Go. Show yourself to the priest. Now, although Jesus, on many occasions, condemned human traditions that that makes void the holy law of God, he does not disobey the law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Go show yourself to the priest as per the law. Why? Why? His obedience, his obedience would serve as a testimony providing evidence of the healer. They would have to declare the man's clean. How? Testimony of the healer. And it's very likely that it would serve as a testimony against them because if they recognize the healing and do not recognize the healer, boom, you're indicted. Right? So the ones, the very ones who opposed him would see the healing and it would testify against their opposition of the one who heals, the one who is the Christ, son of the living God, Messiah. Not only that, you know, the main reason, I mean, essentially for, for this man, was his own restoration to the community, to society, of which he was an outcast. To be deemed clean, you would be back into the community. So that's a very practical implication right there. It provided him re-entry into society as prescribed by the law. He disobeyed. He didn't obey. He didn't obey the Lord. He didn't obey the Savior. He didn't obey his healer. Instead, he goes out and runs his mouth. 
So we can be sympathetic for a moment. So let's take a moment. Let's be sympathetic. Okay. No more sympathy. He goes out and tells the whole world. But what happened? His disobedience hindered the Lord's strategy for ministry in the region of Galilee. Hindered it. It made it difficult to do his Galilean ministry. So Jesus now has to go out to desolate places. We read that people still poured out. Now, there is an inherent warning here for us. And that is, it's possible for us in our witnessing, in our testimony, and that is testifying to very, the very things that are true. Okay, it's true, Jesus healed him. We can testify to the truth, and it can actually serve as a detriment for the gospel. It can actually hinder gospel ministry. And it's especially applicable to those who like to talk a lot. They end up doing more damage than they do good. You know, sometimes people will learn and they grow in their understanding and they grow to learn and know things they didn't know they didn't know. And now they think it's their job to go out and tell everybody else what they're doing wrong. So they go into certain circles, Christian circles. They think it's their duty to tell everybody, no, you need to do it like this, that, and the other. I'm here to show you how to do it. Irritant. Nuisance. Pain in the neck. I'm here to help you. Funny thing, I don't remember calling you. Oh, why don't I remember? Because I never called you. I'll never forget. A young man was in seminary. This is about eight years ago. He, wants, he makes a meeting with me. He goes to church here. He comes into me, and he says, I'm going to go down, and it's a large church in town. I'm going to go down to that such and such a church, and I'm going to stand on the sidewalk, and I'm going to preach to them as they're coming out, basically to tell them what they're doing wrong. I go, you're out of your mind. See, this guy was in seminary. He was growing, and he was learning, and the only real thing he was growing in was ego. And he did all kinds of damage. And I shut him down. And then he turned on this ministry and he informed me for about two years what we were doing wrong. Hard to shake the guy. I hope he's doing well now. We don't need that. We hinder the work. So many who think they're advancing the gospel actually hinder it just like this guy. It's been well said. Take this in. It's been well said. Sometimes some of our most articulate testimony will be recognized in silence. This man's influence was negative. It affected negatively the strategy of Jesus. He resorted to desolate places, verse 45. And you know what's striking about this? Okay, the one who was the outcast, the leper, the one who was isolated to desolate places is here now in the open, free. Jesus is driven out, forced now to desolate places. It's a reversal of positions. It's a trading of places. Get the picture? See a building? 
Leprosy in the Bible is a graphic, physical picture of the spiritual defilement of sin. It's a physical picture of the spiritual. Sin is ugly. Leprosy is ugly. Sin is loathsome. Leprosy is loathsome. Leprosy is incurable. Sin is incurable. It's contaminating. Sin is contaminating. It separates men from God and makes them outcasts, just like leprosy. For instance, in that chapter that you'll read this afternoon, if if I haven't stirred up your appetite already, Leviticus 13. These are instructions given to the priest. Just a couple things. And it helps us understand the nature of sin. That is, leprosy does it. It helps us understand the nature of sin. Number one, sin is deep inside of us. Okay, Just like leprosy was, was inside, it was under the skin. Verse 3. When the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. It's deep. It also spreads. Sin spreads, leprosy spreads. Verse 8. And the priest shall look, and if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. It spreads. Sin spreads. Sin always defiles. Verse 46. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp, an outcast. And the garments that were worn by a leper were fit for one place, fire. Verse 52, he shall burn the garments or the warp or the woof, that is the woven material, uh, the wool or the linen or any article made of skin that is diseased for it is persistent has persistent leprous disease, it shall be burned in fire. Anyone who dies with the filthy garments of a sin nature will burn forever in hell. But, Jesus. But, Jesus. When the untouchable is touched by Jesus, what? Immediately. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Immediately, the sin is atoned for and he's made pure. Jesus. You know, Leviticus 5, forbid anyone, any Jew, to touch an unclean thing, including a leper, because he would become unclean, right? Jesus couldn't be defiled by anyone. Jesus, the pure one, whenever he came in contact with the unclean, the unthing became clean because he's pure. He couldn't be defiled. The pure holy one was not and could not be defiled until he freely laid down his life and became a curse. The one who never sinned became sin. So by touching this man, Jesus is saying, 
I'm prepared to become by I'm, I'm prepared to become by choice what you are by nature. Sin ridden. By choice, I will become that. So, because you're guilty under the law, I'll lay down my life so I can set you free. Jesus becomes the outcast to bring us in to the community of faith. Hebrews 13, 12, what's it say? Look at it. Jesus also suffered what? Outside the gate. Why? In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. This whole leprosy thing pictures that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. But Jesus makes the sinner clean, right? Jesus was treated as the outcast so we could be welcomed and accepted into the very presence of God. That's what this is a picture of. So, I am that leper. I am that leper, for it was my broken heart that was mended by the touch of his hand. Amen? And amen. You can't make yourself clean or acceptable before God. You cannot make yourself clean and try to get all cleaned up before you come to Jesus. You must respond to Jesus humbly. You must come to him like this leper did for his mercy. Recognize your miserable condition. And he, Christ, in his overflowing compassion, will touch you like he did the leper. Repent and believe the gospel. And you shall be set free. You shall be made clean. You shall be saved. Amen?